Our scripture this morning is from 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 16 through 30. I repeat, let no one take me for a fool. But if you do, then tolerate me just as you would a fool, so that I may do a little boasting. In this self-confident boasting, I am not talking as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many are boasting in the way the world does, I too will boast. You gladly put up with fools since you are so wise. In fact, you even put up with anyone who enslaves you or exploits you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or slaps you in the face. To my shame, I admit that we were too weak for that. Whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast about... Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and have been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak? And I do not feel weak. Who is led into sin? And I do not inwardly burn. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The word of God for the people of God. Amen. Thank you, Cheryl. I really don't understand how this is the fastest hour of the week. It's already at 11.15, my little Kindle here says. I don't know how fast it is for you, but it's fast for me. Paul writes, in all these things that happened to him, I'm sure it felt like eternity at times. And he writes this not to draw attention to himself, but he's opening up his life of being a Christ follower and his complete denial to his wants and to who he is and what he would want so that he could be in complete obedience to God, of God, and for God. Not because of human fear, but out of complete committed love to God. The opposite would be to get a chip on your shoulder, to rebel and to reject and say, I'm not doing this anymore. Say, I'm not following God. I'm not going to minister. I'm not going to witness. I'm not going to help out. And that's not what God wants. 
to do that and to act like that, to say those things, is to be ready to lash out with a lack of fear, to lash out with a lack of reverence, to lash out in and of ourselves and to show our true selfishness. Let's go back a little bit. Paul, he had another name, right? His name originally was Saul. And when his name was Saul, Acts chapter 9, he had letters. Letters from the high priest. He had permission to travel from Jerusalem to Damascus and catch, bind up, kill if you need to, but gather up the Christians. You read about it in Acts chapter 9. Don't have time to share that with you like I'd hope. Take a look at it this week. So as Saul is approaching Damascus, he's looking. He's looking for that first Christian. He's excited. He's ready to get his hands on him. But yet, all of a sudden, he is confronted. He is confronted by a blinding light, a blinding encounter by none other than the resurrected Jesus Christ. And you go back in chapter 9, and verse 5, it says when he asks, Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. A lot of times we don't hear Jesus or God name themselves. We say, oh, it's the angel of the Lord or the Spirit of God. But it was direct. There was no doubt. I am Jesus. And Saul hears as the Lord speaks, as Jesus speaks. And Jesus goes on, changes his name. Paul gets his name changed. It takes him a little bit. They've got to travel on into town and get his eyesight back. But there in that very city where he had planned to go, he had planned and it was on his agenda to kill the Christians and gather them up. It was in written documents that you have the authority to do this and get those Christians out of here. Take care of them. Eliminate them. It is in that very city now he is preaching in the name of Jesus. He is preaching that Jesus is the Messiah and it is now Paul himself being persecuted. And if you read the end of chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians, Paul even has to escape and leave. He leaves the city to escape death and he exits through a window. Through a window. He can't even go the way he came. He has to go out a window and leave the city to spare his life, to escape death. But yet he's ready to suffer. And we get the whole list there. Paul was ready to suffer because he loved Christ. He loved God. And out of love, he had this holy fear of who God is. The God who is all-knowing, the God who is all-powerful, the God that is all-loving, but yet the God who is all-just and fair. God the Father is not one who creates fear in us, but yet that fear of God comes when we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior. And it's a fear of us having reverence 
an awe, an unbelievable submission to God who I'd never submitted to before because I would never submit to anyone because we're more like Paul. We'd rather just be ourselves and go do our own thing, make our own way. And if anybody gets in the way, we knock them out of the way or we run over them. We have this born-again moment where before we had no reverence, we had no awe, we had no submission to God, meaning that we had no fear of God. We had no fear of the holy God that is in control of our lives still yet, even though we have no fear of him. Have you ever heard of the pastor John uh, Beaver? It's spelled B-E-V-E-R-E. He is a pastor, he's a minister, and he's a best-selling author. And one of his books, titled Rescued in 2006, had, has sold millions. I don't know, John. I did not make this video clip. But I want you to listen to John and, tell, and listen to this conversation that he has with Jim Baker back in the 1990s. Let us listen to this and watch this. My assistant gets a call in 1994, Jim Baker. He was on CNN. He committed mail fraud, had the largest ministry in the world. And he was sentenced to 45 years. It was reduced to five years. In the fourth year of his sentence, he called his assistant. He read the first book that I wrote. And he said to his assistant, can you call this man and see if he'll come visit me? I said, sure, I'll go visit him. So I go in. I remember I'm in the penitentiary. Jim comes in. He's got his prison garb on. He looks at me, grabs my shoulder and said, young man, did you write this book? I said, yes, sir, I did. He sits down. He looks at me. You know what the first thing he says to me is? John, this prison wasn't God's judgment on my life. It was his mercy. He said, John, if I would have kept living the way I was living, I would have ended up in hell forever and ever. I am so grateful to God. 20 minutes into it, I look at Jim and I say, Jim, when did you fall out of love with Jesus? And he's so serious when he said it. He said, I didn't. And I said, Jim, you committed adultery. You were arrested and prosecuted in 1990. Are you telling me those seven years you didn't love Jesus? He said, I loved him all the way through it, John. And he sees confusion in my face. And he looks at me and he says, I didn't fear God. He said, I love Jesus. I didn't fear God. He said, there's millions of American Christians just like me. They love Jesus. They don't fear God. Short and fast. Millions of Christians love Jesus, but they do not fear God. They do not fear God. And that's a problem. That's an issue. It's a problem for us as individuals if we're in that boat. It's a problem for the church if the church is in that boat. Oh, we love Jesus, but we don't fear God. We can't operate that way. We must have this holy fear, all reverence and submission to the God of the universe that is in control of all things. Yet they can change anything on any day, at any moment, someone could change. He can change any situation, any day, any moment. He can change it. Because he is God. God does what God wants to do. We are reminded in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, you might have seen it on the screen at the back of that video and the first part of it. Paul here is again. It is Paul, the Apostle Paul, again, talking to the Philippians. And he's telling them, to listen up, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good purpose. Philippians 
chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. This does not mean that we save ourselves. It does not mean that we can work physically to earn whatever it means to be saved. But with submission to the divine and holy and perfect God, we come to Him in our broken humanness. And we must say, Father God, I do not deserve this. I don't deserve to live another day. I don't deserve anything good in my life. I don't deserve this type of family. I don't deserve this job. I don't deserve this business. I don't deserve all these blessings. We don't deserve anything. But God pours it out. He pours it out. We don't even belong in His presence. But when we get this understanding and a divine spiritual insight, Father God, I know I don't deserve anything, but I sure thank you. I thank you. I thank you for making salvation possible. I thank you for making salvation available. Thank you, Father God. Thank you for that moment that light bulb moment of salvation. Thank you for the parents that I had that lived out that godly life that when the world was crumbling around them, they went to their knees and they prayed. And I had that as an example. Father God, I thank you. Because of this, Father God, and because I understand now I don't deserve it, I, my, I don't want that pride in my life. I don't want that foolishness I don't want that rebellion to happen any longer. Father God, I want to commit to you in a loving way, Father God, more. Loving you more than what I love myself. Loving you more, Father God, than anything. More than everything. Loving just you, Father God, and allow you to allow all other things to fall into place. Father God, I, I want my fear and my love for you from this day forward to trump everything else in my life. Everything, Lord. Father God, we, we know and we would say and we would all agree, none of us want to go to jail. None of, none of us want to experience what Paul experienced. No one wants to be persecuted. No one wants to be tortured for any reason. No one wants to be caught in the act of crime or sin. No one wants to be put to death. But yet we find ourselves doing all these things we don't want to do. Is it worth it? Is it worth losing everything that we've already been given? Is it worth not getting anything else, any more blessings than what God would want to give? Is it worth it? Are you willing to lose it all just for some pleasure? some humanness for some sin to remain in sin. We must, as Paul says, work out our salvation. Not for our kids, not for mom and dad, not for our spouse, but our salvation with fear and trembling or we will not be in God's will. We can say we love Jesus. As it says, millions of Christians love Jesus. 
Millions and thousands of churches proclaim, we love Jesus with so much lip service, so much media service, so many headlines and flyers and newsletters and over and over, we love Jesus. But so long as it is only in the headlines and on the titles and lip service, you will not be in God's will. The church will not be in God's will. And I want to be in God's will. I want to be in a place that wants to be in God's will. And to be in God's will, we've got to know what God wants. And that is why I invite you Wednesday, again, Wednesday evening for our prayer vesper time at 7 o'clock. It is an hour early, but we're inviting you in person. Let's meet at 7. We'll still be on Facebook. We'll still be the Outer Binyan Methodist Church. But there will be a difference coming. A time of reset, revision, repurpose, readjusting as we move forward through this year of 2023. We will seek the Lord in the Holy Spirit. We will seek his word and his teaching and ask the Lord, what do you want, Lord? What is your will, Lord? And we'll do so not because we're scared of him, not because he's going to kick us to the curb, not because he's going to shut it down and turn off the lights, but because that's what he wants. He wants us in full submission. Over the next few months, things will look different. Things will be done different. Some things we may need to just forego for a time or for another season. I don't know. That depends on all of us. How much do we really want it? How much help will we really get? How will we join together in the unity of common ground in the name of Jesus? This past Tuesday, district superintendent had a dozen or so clergy meet together and talk about the United Methodist Church, what is happening, what has happened, what is projected to happen. And we're going to have, they feel, this was just this group, for the next two or three years, there will be changes. There will be challenges. It will be hard. Paul knew hard, but he was in it for the long haul. He was in it for Jesus. He was in it in obedience to God, a loving fear of his God, of his Lord and Savior, because Jesus said, Saul, why do you persecute me? He said, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus. I'm calling upon Jesus to talk to me clearly. I'm praying for him to talk to you clearly. I'm praying for him to talk to us clearly as a body of Christ. We think we've had it hard with these changes through COVID-19. We think that COVID-19 has brought grief and sorrow upon us. But did we even get closer to God? As individuals, as a church, as a country, did we even get closer to God spiritually because of COVID-19? It's suspect. 
It'd be up for debate. But the challenge before us is not up for debate. A challenge to reset, revision, and repurpose of who Otterbein is and what is the doctrine. What will be our doctrines? And yes, I'm saying spiritual doctrines, not personal opinions, not personal desires, not personal preferences but spiritual doctrines from God, his word, his teaching, and the leading of the Holy Spirit. Because that is the only way to go. Because that's, at least that's the way I'm going. You may not like that way. You may not want that way. But I'm here to tell you that I'm, I'm going after God. I'm saying, Lord, I'm here. Lord, those who gather, they're going to be here too. What will be those doctrines where Otterbein will find that unity and common ground? That place where we're going to stand together? That place we're going to work together? That place we're going to have a newness in Jesus Christ because of God's word and because of the Holy Spirit? And only because of those things. And that is where I leave you today. Let us pray. Father God, we're calling out to you today in grief and sorrow and sadness because of some changes, because of loss of family and friends and loved ones and neighbors for a change. And Lord, we don't know, we don't always understand the timing, but Lord, we can look back and we see where we might not have got got it together when we showed up in the past. But Lord, we are here today and we're going forward and I pray for the Holy Spirit to lead us and that we would get it together. Get it together in the name of God the Father. That we would get it together in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And that we would get it together by the leading and direction, counsel and wisdom of the Holy Spirit. For your glory and your kingdom, Lord, now and forever, these things I ask and I pray for your help. And we thank you, Jesus, and we'll cling to your promises now and forever. Amen. Let us turn in our hymnals or to the, turn to the screen. And we'll